Where's Howie Wong? There he is. Howie Wong, this is for you. This is a this is a recorder. Howie Wong has been wanting me to do podcasts like for years. So starting today, it may not be on the website yet, but we're going to record the sermon in all of its messiness, and it's going to go up on the website. So look, maybe next week we'll have it up there. So this is for you, okay? This is for you. All right, there we go. That's right. Everywhere you go. My wife tries not to hear my voice everywhere she goes, but yeah. Um, does everybody does, it, does does everybody know the story uh, of David? This this that where where the scripture that Jennifer read it comes after that. Does, does do people do people know that story? Raise your hand if you know that story. All right, I'll tell it. It's always good to be reminded. So so David, David. Um, a great king, and, and probably, at least as far as we know from the scripture, you know, um, the greatest king that, that Israel had, at least as far as the scripture is concerned. Historically, that may not be actually true, but, but in terms of the scripture, that it's very true. And so he's a great king. But, you know, being king comes with power, and, and it's easy to get to where you think you can just get away with stuff because you have a certain position. And so one day, his, he, the kingdom is at war with another kingdom, and so most of the men are off fighting, and David is up on his, uh, in his house or whatever, which is up above everybody else's house, and he looks down and he sees his neighbor's um, wife, Bathsheba, and his neighbor is Uriah, and, and um, he sees his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba, um, bathing on, top, on, on the rooftop. And it says she was very beautiful. And so he decides that he's going to take her into his bed. And he does. Well, it's a great plan until, guess what? She's pregnant. And guess where her husband has been this whole time? At war. So it's going to be a little interesting when he comes back from war and she's pregnant and he hasn't been there. So David calls him back from, from fighting and is basically says, hey man, you know, when you, I want you to come back. You've been doing a great job. You know, I want you to, I want you to go and enjoy you know, being home, basically trying to encourage him to have sex with his wife and you know, all this sort of thing, kind of trying to cover his tracks. And it's getting pretty despicable already here, right? I mean, this feels pretty, pretty, pretty bad news. Well, Uriah is such a good guy He's like, no, like, we're at war. Like, all of my friends, all of our men are out there fighting. It wouldn't be right for me to come home and enjoy the pleasures of home, you know. And so I'm going to sleep out in my courtyard. He doesn't even sleep in his own home while he's there for however long. So David tries to encourage him again. Well, no, 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 blah, blah, blah. No, Uriah. So, okay, Uriah goes back to war, and David tells the general... um, put Uriah at the front, and then pull everybody else back. I mean, this isn't like he accidentally died. I mean, David had him killed to cover, to cover his tracks. And I think David thought he was going to get away with it. But he had this great best friend in Nathan. And Nathan believed in David, believed that he was a better man than what he had just shown. Believe that 
he should be more as the king of Israel. And so he tells him the story about the man with the many sheep and cattle, the rich man, and, and about the man with the one with the one sheep who, the rich man, when somebody comes to his house, he takes the one sheep and slaughters it and serves that to him when he had plenty. David gets very incensed because, of course, he has this very much sense of righteousness and self-righteousness, and, and then Nathan just nails him right in the heart. You're the man. You're the one who's done this. And, and at that point, um, David, realized, really the full weight of everything that he's done comes crashing down, and he... He, you know, I think, I think what it says is basically he, he rips his clothes and puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is what you do when you're, when you're seeking forgiveness, and, and, and then um, goes on. But there are repercussions. Uh, Bathsheba's child dies. Uh, I mean, there are, some, there are things that happen afterwards that he, he, he still reaps some repercussions from this action that he took. It wasn't as if God's forgiveness then just made everything okie-dokie. You know, there were still consequences to his actions. But what's interesting about, about that, that little vignette in the Bible, and some people would be like, oh, well, why would we lift up him as this great king? That's what I love about the scripture. Is there are very few porcelain saints in our scripture. It's real. It's messy. It's sometimes very uncomfortable. A lot of people look at the Bible and look at the people there and look at the situations and they, and they look at the God they find there and they're like, I can't believe in that God because that, that God clearly doesn't love people very much because God is willing in the Old Testament to, you know, at least the people will say, oh, we're going to go kill all of these people so that we can occupy the land or there's lots of bloodshed and things. People get very uncomfortable with that. What most people don't realize is that, is that in ancient times, the gods of the people didn't give a hoot about humanity. Human beings, we, we were just like playthings. They, like, they, they were just sort of playing chess games with human beings. For those of you who studied the Greek gods or the Roman gods, I mean, they're sort of like human beings writ large, and they, they love to play these games with each other and have affairs with the human women and, and, and men and, and, and do all these different things and just sort of make fools out of human beings most of the time. And, um, and, and it's, so it's really fascinating that the, the, the gods are very capricious in that way. They just, you know, they're just willy-nilly about stuff. And about humanity, it's just, could really care less. But... In the Old Testament, the God that we find there is a God who, in the beginning, in the beginning, creates, we believe, out of love and out of a desire to be in relationship with humanity. Not to have puppets and playthings of which to play with, but to be in a real relationship with. And the story of the scripture really is of, of this God who, wants to, who continues to want to be in relationship with humanity and humanity keeps pushing God away. It's this back and forth and back and forth. And you would think, I mean, after a while, you would think that God would just give up. Because have you ever given up on anybody? There ever been somebody in your life that you're just like, you know what? I'm writing this friendship off. 
Done. Can't do it anymore. Hurt me too many times. If you read the Scripture, imagine, imagine how some of that might feel for God. A God who deeply loves and cares about creation and about humanity. And a God who is seemingly constantly reaching out to reestablish this covenant and to, and to redo things and the people keep betraying this God, going away and grumbling and mumbling and all this sort of thing. But yet, all throughout the Scripture, we just have this thing that God loves God's creation. God loves humanity and has great hope for it. And so then, of course, when we come, to the, we come to the New Testament and we come to Jesus, we have this, this central, one of the central scriptures of our faith is you know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. For God so loved humanity that He sent His Son to be with us, to show us what it was like to be fully human and fully committed God, that we might see once again what it's like to be in a full relationship with God. Yesterday we were having a session retreat, and the leaders of the church were meeting, and, and, and we were talking about, well, what, what's the gospel to you? Each one of us were talking about, what's the gospel to you? What's the good news of Jesus Christ to you? He personally, and, and one of our elders, one of our elders said, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the awesome things that I, that I never understood growing up was, was when Jesus was crucified in the temple, in the Jewish temple, the veil was torn, meaning there was this huge curtain, basically, that hung between the Holy of Holies and, and, and one of the gathering areas in the temple. And only the priests, once a year, could go back in that Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice. And, and when Jesus was crucified, the veil was torn, meaning that no longer, no longer was God separate from the people, but God, we have direct access to God in Jesus' God loves humanity so much that He was willing, God was willing to send His Son to show us and to open that door for us. To re-remind us again of just how much God wants to be in relationship with us. And then so I extrapolate from that that then, then as people who believe in Jesus Christ, as people who've been captured by this message, by a message of love, by a message of hope, and by a message of grace, that we then are supposed to be people who live out of that love and that hope and that grace. That we wouldn't give up on humanity. That we wouldn't just write whole sections of people off as being lower than us, as being not as good as us, as being unworthy of, of love or care. Because that's, it's easy for us to do that. But we follow a God who never gives up on us. As I look around this room, I mean, most of us have 
we've probably, most of us, done the, mostly the right things in our lives. You know? I say mostly. <laughs> I see some elbows going out there. Not this guy, not him. You know, we're, we've mostly been winners in this society. But I know that for most of us, there's also a sense... And maybe there's some shame still that we have about certain things that we've done or haven't done. Maybe there's still a lot of brokenness in us, which I think is just true. God is continually seeking to heal us and and, and bring us into a new place out of love. And so then we, as people who follow this God that that loves humanity and that that wants wants to serve grace and hope, we are called to be those people as well. Because you know what? Love changes us. Love changes us. I don't know if you've, if you've ever really thought about it. Um, and I shared this example yesterday with this session. We were talking about love and, and about God's love. And I said, you know, we forget that love changes us. Most of the men that I know, if you, if you get them talking honestly about the women um, that they've married or that, they've, that they're in love with, they will say something to this effect, and I'll use my words, you know, being married to Jennifer makes me want to be a better human being. It makes me want to be a better man. It makes me want to be a better father. It makes me want to be a better pastor. Because she loves me, and that love changes me. I hope that in your life you, you've had or you have a relationship like that with another human being where that love changes you. And again, it doesn't have to be a, a, you know, a, a, uh, an intimate, um, married, you know, that kind of loving relationship. It could be you know, you've, got a, you've got a best friend that, that just brings out the best in you. Now think about that human love, which is a derivative of God's love, now that love, that purest kind of love that comes from God, that that love is also for you. And that love is also for everyone else that you encounter. That's a radical thing to think about. Because we like to separate people out, put them in boxes and do all this stuff, but God doesn't. God, God looks at people where they are, loves them where they are, but doesn't leave them there, just like us. And so today the message is pretty simple. God loves humanity. And God loves humanity so much that God is not content to just leave humanity in its mess. And we are called, as those who at least can see the mess that we are and that the humanity might be, and we can also begin to see what what God might want for humanity and for God's kingdom, we are called to be those to put those things in priority in our lives, that we might be changed by love, and that then we might be change agents for love. 
Not that we're going to fix humanity. That's God. Ultimately, that's God's going to do that work. But we can participate in what God is doing by looking around to see where God is doing God's work and working in and through that. And that's what we try to do as a congregation, and that's what we need to do as individuals. And so today, I, I, want, you to think, I want you to think about the things that love has caused you to do. And then think about what you might do in the name of God's love. What might, you, what might you need to shift in your life in order to more fully live in God's love, to more fully live as someone who is a representative of God's love, to show to humanity the people you work with, the people you live next to, the people down the road, across the street, across the world, that there is a God who believes in them. That has love, deep love for them. And wants to draw them into that relationship and know that love at the deepest level. Because while in the scripture we have clearly the mess, the mess of humanity, Jesus said this about that. And this is Matthew um, chapter 18, starting with verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. He was talking about children, but he was using a metaf- the child as a metaphor also for people that you would, you would at- treat like children. Does that make sense? People that you think are not as good as you. See that you do not look down on these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. It's an interesting phrase. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. God desires for us to seek and to love those who are lost. And that may include some of us at times. We are called not to be not to say that we're better, we have it all figured out, but to walk side by side with people to show them what real love is about. Because we have been given it in Jesus. For God so loved the world. So today, consider what that love is for you. How it has changed you, how it is changing you. What shifts you might need to make. Let's take a few moments in silent reflection and then we'll pray together.